I'm thankful for our shepherds and the time uh, that they spend in prayer and discernment over this flock, and uh, I look forward to the upcoming study that will begin next week. Uh, one of the things that I've realized in uh, over a decade of ministry now is that uh, being a shepherd of the church has, has never been a walk in the park, um, but the past two years in particular, it's, it's been very difficult uh, to shepherd or to elder a, a church body. Uh, and so I just want to call us as a faith family to, to pray for our shepherds, to pray for these 10 men and their wives, uh, to, to lift them up before the Father uh, as they pray for us. Uh, let's be a church that is also praying for them. Uh, there's very few things that are more impactful to know than to know that someone is praying for you. And so I want to pray for each of our shepherds. Uh, I'm thankful to have our children in here. Uh, there's uh, no children's worship today, uh, no attended nursery, uh, no classes today. Uh, all that will resume uh, next week. Uh, but since I did see so many children's faces in here, I uh, just wanted to begin with a, a song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I didn't tell you we were going to do it without the me, but I was doing it without the me. You remember that when we did it without the me? No, you don't? Okay. Uh, so thankful to have our kids in here. This is a gift. I was reminded last week I got to uh, worship uh, at another congregation, uh, the congregation I grew up at in Nashville. And uh, it was the first time in a long time I got to hold my kids uh, during a worship service. And uh, I was reminded how uh, wonderfully uh, challenging that is. Um, <laughs> but it is a gift, and so it is a gift. And so I'm reminding us parents this morning with your kids in tow uh, that it is a gift to have them with you here. Uh, with the new year comes a new series, and so thankful to be starting this series we're calling Grow. Uh, a few months ago, after much prayer and discernment, we launched our vision for the next eight years of this church, and there was really these five particular pillars. Uh, Brian mentioned one of them in, in his comments, generations, but there was also uh, these pillars of spiritual formation, connections, devotion, nations, and generations. And these were some areas that we wanted to be intentional about as a church. And you'll notice those banners as you walk in every, every time you come through these doors because we want to put those before us over these next several years as, as pillars that we are looking toward. Uh, but we also talked briefly about our mission, and we said that our mission and vision is a little different. Uh, our mission, we believe, is the mission of every church to make and grow followers of Jesus. And so that's not unique to just the Homewood Church of Christ. Uh, we believe that, that, that that's the mission of every church. Uh, and, and for the past several years, we've used this language of love, connect, serve to kind of help give us, you know, some guideposts in what this looks like. And that language has served us well. And, and so as we kind of move into this next season of life uh, here at Homewood, we want to continue to, to use the language of making and growing the followers of Jesus. And for the next several weeks, I really want to help us just think through and discern what, what is this growth track? What is this growing 
look like? And what does that mean? Uh, because I think here's the problem, is a lot of times that we, we jump right into the doing, um, and this is something that we are guilty of even as Christians, we, we jump into the doing and, and instead of stepping back and just realizing that we are not human doings, we are human beings, and so what does it mean to be? And, and who are we? The song we're just saying, you know, I am who you say I am. And so our being really informs our doing. And so if we're not careful, we jump into these checklists or we jump into these doing things. Uh, this is a time where, you know, folks make lists of resolutions of things they're going to do. Uh, I agree with my brother Willie last week. I'm not, I'm not much of a uh, I used to be, but I'm not much of a resolution guy now. I, I really I like habits because habits inform, you know, what we do. Uh, but as far as just making a list that I'm going to do for a couple weeks and then forget, I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of value in that. But we want to see as our vision, kingdom devoted disciples, making disciples of nations and generations. And so what does that look like? And don't misunderstand me. What we do matters. But if we don't know who we are doing for or who we are, uh, you know, a, a, a child of, then we forget, you know, while we're doing things. So it's like the story my brother told me this past week. Uh, many of you know that I have a, an older, uh, less attractive brother. I mean, most of you know that. And, uh, and so, but he, he serves uh, as a colonel in the uh, United States Air Force, and uh, he's stationed in Texas. And uh, before, before he was a, a colonel, years ago, he was a major, and uh, he had this, this unique opportunity where uh, he was called in to give this briefing uh, to this uh, special group. <clears throat> the uh, USO had put together this group of college football coaches. And they were going to go on this tour in the Middle East and inspire our troops. And so my brother is, is called to go in and give them this briefing before they, they leave. And so he goes in, and, and, and who does he see? You know, uh, sitting uh, over here to the, to the right, there's uh, Coach Jim Tressel, who was the coach of Ohio State. And then he looks over here, and here's Tommy Tuberville, uh, who used to coach for Auburn. And then he uh, sees over here Houston Nutt, who was the coach of Ole Miss. And then he looks to uh, his left, and, and there is the Hall of Fame coach, Mac Brown, who at the time was coaching for the University of Texas. Uh, so my brother's giving this, this brief and, and this, this rundown, okay, you know, here's what you're going to do when you get to the Middle East, and here's what the Air Force, here, here, how the Air Force is going to coordinate this trip for you. And uh, my, my brother is known for his energetic nature. Um, sometimes it's a little annoying, but he, he just brings a lot of energy when he walks into a room. And so right after the, the brief, uh, Hall of Fame coach Mac Brown pulls him aside and says, hey, I, I just want you to, to know that you, you got a lot of energy. I, I appreciate that. Have you ever thought about being a football coach? <laughs> and my brother looked at him and said, well, no, sir, there's just one slight problem. And Matt Brown said, well, well, what's that? My brother said, I know nothing about football. And Matt Brown got this big grin on his face and said, yeah, that would be a problem if you don't know anything about football. 
And what's the, what's the point? The, the point is that if, if we don't know Jesus, then the things that we are doing are just behavior modification things. And we don't want to be a church that's about behavior modification. We want to be a church that's about transformation. And so we can put on a good show. We can come to church. Uh, We can even serve in a ministry. Uh, We can do the checklist of things that appear to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. We can give some money, all great things. But if we don't know Jesus, if we're not connected to Jesus, if we're not growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, if we're not growing in relationship with Jesus, Jesus would say it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the the vocabulary that he would use with his disciples. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard says it this way, that spiritual formation for the Christian basically refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. As we launch into this new year, I want us to be reminded that we're not a church of just programs. That we want to be a church that is inviting people into a process. And so the point of what we're doing right now, we don't just gather every week to put on a good show. That's not what we're doing. That's not what I signed up for. No, we are inviting one another into this process of becoming more and more like Christ. This is what we want to be about. And if we don't start here, if we don't remind ourselves that this is where growth begins, I think we are getting off track. So how do we grow in this way? If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be turning to Mark chapter 1. If you brought your physical copy of the Bible, uh, great. If you want to use the Bible in the pew rack in front of you, pull that out. It's the second book in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark. If you're joining online, uh, pull out the, the written word so that you can see it for yourself. It'll also be on the screen, Mark chapter 1. We're just going to do a, a drive-by of, of a couple of these passages, and I want to get a, a message ingrained into our hearts as we continue our sermon series today. Mark 1, starting in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 19, when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Flip over to Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. 
And Levi got up and followed him. Flip over a couple more pages to Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? It would be fair to say that this word follow that we see in the New Testament has lost a lot of its meaning in our world today and in our culture today. Um, you know, I, I was reflecting this past week that, you know, I have several folks that, that follow me on Instagram or follow me on the Facebook and that I don't even know. I don't have a relationship with. And to be fair, I do the same thing. I follow people that I don't know. Uh, or that I've never met in person before. And so when we think about this word follow, it's, it's really lost a lot of its meaning in our culture today because it's really as easy as just clicking a button and I can follow this person. And it's as easy as, as, as clicking a button to unfollow that person. So it, it's really uh, something that doesn't compute with us when we, when we use this word follow. But the English word that, that really captures this concept, and you could probably think of other words, but the word that came to my mind is the word apprentice. So if we think of the word apprentice, in Jesus' day, there were these rabbis or these teachers, and the best of the best would have the opportunity to apprentice, to come alongside the rabbi. And so the rabbi, after interrogating a young student, and asking some questions to figure out if the student had the intelligence, if the student had the drive, if the student had the acumen uh, to become a follower of the rabbi. Uh, the rabbi would turn to the student and literally say, come, follow me. And this was an invitation that had deep implication. This was an invitation that had deep meaning. Uh, this was an invitation that was not just uh, a click of a button. Uh, there, was, there was a lot going on behind it. Uh, now, this is kind of where we begin to get the concept of discipleship, but make no mistake, Jesus did not invent discipleship. He was not the first person to, to implement someone being a disciple of his. Plato was a disciple of Socrates, and he later taught Aristotle. And this was in the 5th century B.C., before Christ. And so this is not a concept that Jesus instituted, but this is certainly something that Jesus changed the reality of and what it means in our lives today. And so as an apprentice, you really had three goals. And if you're jotting down notes, I want you to, to think about these. Uh, the first one is, is to be with your rabbi. So in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus appointed the 12 that they might what? What does the word say? That they might be with him. If you look in Mark chapter 3, you'll, you'll see that language there. 
And this was not just a class on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for you college students. This was not just a class on Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, this was not even just a Sunday school class that you attended once a week for 45 minutes or an hour. This idea of coming and following me, this idea of being with your rabbi was very much a lifestyle. It was very much a consuming part of who you were. There was actually this Hebrew blessing back in Jesus' day that was said that may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. So if you think about uh, a desert uh, type atmosphere, environment, uh, that you would follow so close to your rabbi that the dust of the rabbi's shoes would literally get all over you and cover you. And that was the blessing that, that was prayed over you. But it wasn't just to be with your rabbi. The second one was to become like your rabbi. So fishers of men uh, was not just some cute metaphor in Jesus' day. Uh, Jesus is smarter than that. Um, it was actually uh, this Hebrew idiom, and this was the heart and the soul of apprenticeship. It is, I am a great teacher. I want you to become a great teacher as well. It, it was this invitation. I, I want you to become fishers of men. And so we live in this age right now. We live in this culture that says, no, you be you. You do you. You be true to yourself. Be true to you're a snowflake. You are unique. There's no one in the world like you. You know, I mean, this, this is the language that we hear today. And this is what we're told. And this is the messaging that we receive. Back when I was growing up, it was Burger King. You have it your way, right? Now, half of you don't even know what that means. Uh, but but this, this is the, the language that we still hear today. And so, be weird. But now, being weird is normal. So, you're not really being weird, if you're being weird, you're just being normal, right? If you really want to be weird, then follow the Jesus way. That's weird. That's weird today. And so the Bible purposefully, I think, leaves out this, this one aspect of Christ. So when we say become like your rabbi, we're, we're not talking about necessarily the, the physical appearances of, of a rabbi, what the, the rabbi dressed like and looked like. We know very little about Jesus' appearance from the Bible. I mean, it, there's just not much there about it. I mean, we see uh, what I think are just gross misrepresentations of, of Jesus, you know, of, you know, this, this blue eyes and, and this white robe that never has any dirt on it or never gets dusty, even though he was walking, you know, from place to place all the time. I mean, this is the, the image, the physical image that we get uh, of Jesus for uh, historically, really from, for many years now. What does the Bible tell us about his appearance? Well, the closest we get is Isaiah 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And we don't use that language about Jesus very often. He had no beauty to attract us to him. Like if you're flipping through people to follow on your social media accounts, what you like to see is, is a picture of someone that you're attracted to, or a couple that you're attracted to, or somebody, you know, and, and so, oh, I, I want to, the Bible says that this was not Jesus. 
If you were scrolling and you came upon the real, authentic picture of Jesus, you would keep on scrolling. Eh. This is what the Bible says. To become like our rabbi is not to take on his physical appearance. To become like a rabbi is to take on his character. And so the way that he loved, the way that he spoke to people, the way that he blessed people. Uh, this, this morning, I, on the way uh, into the church building, I just listened to, on, on my phone, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I would encourage you to do that today if you haven't done that in a while. Just listen, listen to it. And one of the things that wrecks me every time I read the Sermon on the Mount is the way that Jesus starts. He doesn't start with commands, and he doesn't start with telling me how bad I am and how wrong I am. He starts with blessing. This is how he begins. And so I, I was talking to a, a, a lady last week, and I told her that I'd been preaching now for 10 years. And she was kind of surprised. It seemed like a long time. And and she just looked at me and she said, well, do you really give it to him? <laughs> I mean, she got up in my face, like with a fist, you know, like, do you really, you really, when you preach, do you really give it to him? And I, I just kind of laughed. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe y'all think I give it to you. I don't know. But I, I, I said, well, I, I try to preach with grace and truth. That's kind of who Jesus was. And... As I was listening to the Sermon on the Mount this morning, I was just reminded that we serve a Lord who starts with blessing. Like if, if you are spiritually bankrupt right now, Jesus says you're blessed. Like if you think you are just all the stuff that's happened in life, your health, the loss of loved ones, all that's going on with the... I mean, and you just feel like you're, you're, you're stuck and you're stagnant. And, and Jesus says, you're blessed. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom of what? This world? No, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Like if I'm poor, if, I'm, if I got my last dime or my last nickel and somebody offers me a kingdom, what? I mean, who is this guy? But it's an upside-down kingdom. It, it's, it, it's a kingdom like we, we're not often familiar with on this side, but it's a kingdom that has been brought near for us to participate in. And so those are the two things. To be with your rabbi, to become like your rabbi. And the third, the third goal of apprenticeship was to do what your rabbi did. In John 13, Jesus does this really radical thing. He washes the feet of his disciples. Now, I have a few times had my feet washed by somebody else. It is the most awkward, humbling thing that you can experience. Like somebody taking your nasty feet and just rubbing, you know, a washcloth over them, and you're just sitting there taking it. Like, and you can't do, you can't do nothing. You know, I mean, you want, you're like, let me help you with that, right? You know, let me, let me get down there and help you. You know, you want to do something, but 
you just, you're just sitting there receiving. And, and the, the longer it goes on, you, you just are almost moved to tears. I was. And if you have not had your feet washed by somebody else, um, Kevin offered to do that for you today. Just come down front at the end, and Kevin will wash your feet. And I'm just kidding. No, but for, for real, he'll do that. Um, but it, it, is a, it is a weird feel. But this is what Jesus does. No rabbi does this. No rabbi, like, takes off his clothes and, like, starts washing feet. That's not what rabbis do. But this is what Jesus does. <laughs> this is how he serves. He washes the feet of his rabbi. And then in John 13, right after he does this, here's what he says, verse 15. I have set you an example that you should what? Do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So with that as our backdrop, how, how do we transport, how do we transport the context of the biblical narrative into 2022 Birmingham, Alabama, or, or wherever you find yourself tuning in from? How, how do we make that, how do we make that shift? I just want to walk back through the, the objectives of an apprentice. Number one. Be with Jesus. You say, well, he's not here. He's at the right hand of the Father. So how do I do that? Well, we're going to talk more about that in this series. But the short version is that the first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Spirit. And if you say, I don't know how to do that, you're in the right place. Because we, again, want to help walk alongside you in that. If you're new to the whole Jesus thing, just, just start right there. What does it mean to live in constant awareness and connection to the Spirit? You begin carving out time, maybe in the morning, you begin carving out time in, in the evening, even little spurts during the day where you connect with God. And Jesus would say it this way in John 15, remain in me like a branch remains in the vine. I mean, if you, if you haven't read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, re, read through those this week. Or maybe you find a Bible reading plan, uh, Bible project on version, Bible recap, silence and solitude and reading the Word. These take practice. And what are we doing? We are practicing the presence of God. We, we commit to being with Jesus. Number two, that we become like Jesus. So the question is not, are you being formed? The, the question is, who or what are you being formed into? All of us are being formed. I mean, you can say, no, I'm my own person. I'm not, I'm not influenced. No, you're being formed. All of us are being formed. And so if you were to plot your character out one year or your, your five years or 10 years from now, who are you becoming? And I don't care where you find yourself on that spectrum. We are, we are all becoming. <laughs> We've not arrived. And so, as I mentioned earlier, uh, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Are you becoming like that? And again, we're not just talking about behavior modifications. We're talking about inward transformation. 
I want to become the type of person where it's easier for me to love my enemy than it is to hate them. It's easier for me to love my enemy than to go and gossip about them behind their back. It's easier for me to trust God and who he is than to live in this state of constant worry or this state of constant anxiety. That's who I want to become. Are you becoming like Jesus? And the third one is, I want to become like Jesus. And fourth, the third one is, do you, do you do what Jesus did? Jesus wasn't just this good teacher and rabbi. He was the son of God ushering in the kingdom of God. And so our goal as an apprentice is not just to know all about the Bible. Well, I, I thought that's why we're here, to, to know all about the Bible. Our desire is to also join in Jesus' work in the world. It's good to know Bible. It's good. I spent several years of my life getting degrees to know more about the Bible. But the work of Jesus in the world is what I want to get in on. What he's doing around us. This past week, we saw several notable celebrities pass away, whether it be John Madden or Betty White. One you may have not paid attention to was South African theologian Desmond Tutu. And his work on forgiveness has really changed me in a lot of ways. But, but here's what he said. He said, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. Isn't that good? We don't want to just be a bunch of people who know the Bible, but rather by God's grace, we want to see you grow and mature to a place where you begin to join Jesus' kingdom work in Birmingham, Alabama, as it is in heaven. This is our desire. This is our call. But I want you to hear me, church. Here's the thing about following Jesus. It doesn't work if it's just a hobby. Like, I'm into Jesus and I'm into sports. Or I'm into Jesus and I'm into running marathons. Following Jesus makes the most sense when it's the whole point of your life. And listen to me, that doesn't mean I'm not telling you to go and quit your job and become a preacher or to go quit your job and become a youth minister in the church. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is follow Jesus as a banker. Follow Jesus as a teacher. Follow Jesus as a person in the medical field. Follow Jesus as a painter. Follow Jesus as a full-time parent. Wherever you're at, this is the invitation. Come, follow me. At this time, I want to invite us as believers to pull out the communion elements, and hopefully you received one of those on the way in this morning. But if not, we have some folks down front who'd be happy to bring one of those to you. If you'll just raise your hand, if you're here in the auditorium, they'll bring you one. And if you're joining us online, uh, hopefully you have some form of communion elements to join in with us. 
And I'll just ask you, if you're joining us online, I would encourage you to comment in the chat or send me a message or a picture of where you're joining from, because I would, I would love just to have this reminder this morning of the body of Christ, both gathered and scattered. And I would invite you to do that, the Spirit of Christ that connects us. So in the Gospels, Jesus' first words to Peter in Matthew chapter 4 were, follow me. And among his last words to Peter in John chapter 21 were, follow me. And then in the middle of the Gospels, we find Jesus again saying to Peter, what? Follow me. So the first time, uh, Peter's in the midst of working when Jesus says, follow me. And then the second time, Peter was in the midst of disagreeing with Jesus over his job description. Not Peter's job description, Jesus' job description. Like, I know what you need to be doing, Jesus, and you ain't doing it. That conversation never goes well. All right? So this is the second time. And then the third time, Peter was in the wake of having denied Jesus. These are the context of the three times that Peter would hear these words from Jesus, follow me. I just want to remind us this morning, no matter how far we've come or haven't come in 2021, the call of Jesus remains for 2022. Follow me. And I wonder how those words must have rung in Peter's ears as he communed with fellow believers after the death, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I I wonder just how many times those images came back into his mind, even years later. I like how New Testament scholar Dr. Karen Jones says it. She says, if you, if you read Peter's letter, 1 Peter, likely written 30 years after Christ, what you find is that the life of Jesus and the believer's life are inseparable in Peter's thought. How impactful Jesus' words must have been for Peter. Follow me. And the implications of that will differ among all of us here in this auditorium and even those joining us online. There will be a cost, though, in every context. But I want to remind us there will also be a sustaining grace. To paraphrase Diedrich Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the call to follow Jesus is a costly grace. It's costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow. Let's pray for the bread this morning. Father, your word tells us that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Father, as Peter quoted the prophet Isaiah, we too are reminded this morning of the bread that represents the body of our Lord which bore our sins on the cross. May we eat with grateful hearts. May we die to sin and live for righteousness. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. The body of Christ given for you. Let's take the bread. pray for the cup. Father, we're thankful for the blood of your son 
the blood that has life in it, the blood that covers us, the blood that frees us, the blood that redeems us. May we live in light of who we are in that reality. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. The blood of Christ given for you. I'm going to invite the praise team to be making their way back up. We praise God because of your generous giving this past year. Uh, as a church family, we were able to meet all of our budgeted commitments and works both locally and globally, and for that we praise God. Uh, your giving makes a huge difference, and I'm grateful to serve a kingdom-devoted church. So you may give online uh, at homewoodchurch.org underneath the Give tab, or you're also welcome to place your contribution in the boxes in the foyer on your way out. Come follow me. This is the invitation from the Lord. It's not an invitation from the preacher. It's not an invitation even from an elder or a shepherd. This is the invitation from Christ. Come follow me. If you have a prayer need this morning, there'll be a shepherd down front. There'll be a shepherd back in this room over here to my left, which is what we call room 113, if you'd like to go there and have private prayer. Or today's the day that you want to respond to the call. Come follow me and be buried in the waters of baptism with Christ. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Come as we stand and sing.